I think expectations were, um, it's a fast way to make money, you know, and, and you look up at all these alumni, the, the, the people who are successful, uh, ones driving the nice cars with the, the big bank rolls and stuff. And you're like, Oh shit, they must be happy. Right. Yeah. There must be, there must be something to this real estate thing or this finance thing that, that people find passion in. I just never got that passion. You know, like it wasn't for me, it wasn't uh, like, I wasn't helping anybody, you know, I, I, it was hard and I was working long hours, but like, I wasn't really challenging myself or growing as an individual. So um, it was an easy decision for me to, to say to Jordan, like, Hey man, I'm going to leave what I'm doing to, yeah. to come join. The money here isn't, isn't worth it for me. You know, and I walked away from a big salary for nothing. You know, we, mm. didn't, we didn't pay ourselves at super coffee for the first two and a half years. I was, I'll send you guys a picture after this. I was literally the bud light guy at Baltimore Ravens games. On no the way. Field. No way. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's eight, $8 beers. I was the guy with the, the thing on my shoulder but I'd make like 400 bucks a game and that would pay for my week. And welcome to the One Shot Podcast. We are here with Super Coffee CEO, Jim. Tyler, don't correct me here because you were wrong. It's Jim DeSico. It is DeSico, huh? So yes, my wife's sir. Italian, and she for sure would say DeChico. Ah, see? That's what I said the first time. Yeah. That's right. They, yeah. they call it DeChico in Italy, but somewhere along the way, it turned into DeSico. Right. Okay. Yeah, All right. right. You went full Texas on it then, huh? That's right. That's right. <laughs> I love it. And, and to introduce him a little bit better, I got, I got a, a short story. Uh, back when I was starting in commercial real estate about five years ago, I'd never drank coffee before that mm. coffee just wasn't my thing. Mm. And, but when you get into the corporate world, you start to realize, you know, everybody does it. Number one. And number two, you, you start to need the stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was looking for something, you know, I, I've always been a health freak, a health nut in the fitness. I was looking for something healthy. You know, I, it's easy to run down to Starbucks and get yourself a 700 calorie, you know, coffee drink. And so I was just looking and looking, and, and I found this stuff called Super Coffee. Mm-hmm. And again, like we said, CEO here with us, Jim DeSico. And man, this stuff is incredible. Not only does it taste good, but it's got protein, which any meathead loves. Yeah. It's got MCT oil. So it's got everything you want in a perfectly healthy, nice bottle called Super Coffee. Yeah, and I remember the day when you found Super Coffee. <laughs> oh, shit. I became your biggest like, disciple. <laughs> no, I mean, all he could do was talk about because he never drank. He's right. He's never drank coffee. It just wasn't his thing. And and uh, he found Super Coffee. And he says, hey. He calls me up, called me up and asked me, have you ever heard of Super Coffee? And I was like, no. Nah. So he ended up, we ended up getting stocked up here. Yep. And Tyler and I, we'll, we'll, you know, banging around here and there, man. But absolutely man we we just not only do we love the coffee man but we want to hear your story on how you got to to where you guys are today so jimmy take us back on a journey unless tyler you want to do this no i was just gonna say i just how did you start to like getting ben to stop drinking orange mocha frappuccinos (laughs) (laughs) that's what i want to know is the in between there that's the real miracle here yeah No, but like Darren said, take us back, Jimmy. Take us back to the beginning. We want to hear your personal story. Obviously, we want to hear the story about the company, but take us back to your beginning. Where did you start? Where did you grow up? What was family life like? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, grateful to be here, fellas. Thank you for having me. Um, So I'm the oldest of three boys, and and my brothers and I started the company six years ago. 
before that, we grew up in, in Kingston, New York, about two hours oh. north of New York City. Uh, mom and dad both played sports in college. Mom, mom was lacrosse and, and soccer at New Hampshire. Dad, dad was a linebacker up there. Uh, right after they graduated, they graduated in 90, May of 92. They had me in October of, of 92. So uh, they had three boys by the time they were 25. And, and we always joke about it. Uh, the way they raised their family was kind of like how we were raising the business. You know, we uh, you're figuring it out as you go. And, and they did a nice job getting us into sports, sort of teaching us to work hard and be nice to people from an early age. And I think that background in athletics and that that impression that our parents left on us um, through sports and, and how to compete, how to be a teammate, how to communicate with your team. Uh, is really what empowered us to do what we do today. Uh, fast forward to college, we, uh, my brothers and I weren't great students. You know, we, I, I played football at Colgate University. Uh, Jake played football at Georgetown, and uh, Jordan played basketball at, at Philly U. Jordan, Jordan had an old school coach. Like this guy had them doing running suicides at five in the morning. And he had to wake up. The kid was tired, you know, and he didn't want to drink a Starbucks Frappuccino that had 46 grams of sugar in it. Mm -hmm. And so he started brewing coffee with MCT oil, giving himself the fuel that he needed, adding protein, right? Because what, like you said, what me had wouldn't like some protein. <laughs> right. uh, and it worked for him, man. And, and he had never had any intentions of starting a business, right? This dude's dream was to be the next Steve Nash. Like he was, uh, he was the starting point guard, full scholarship kid, his freshman year. He used to skip high school to go shoot free throws at the YMCA. So I always thought that basketball was his, was his life, mm. um, which it was until he saw this opportunity in coffee. He's like, man, bottle coffee is a two and a half billion dollar market. The Starbucks Frappuccino controls 90% of it. It's all just coffee with milk and sugar. Nobody's doing anything, mm. anything better. Mm. It's like this solution works so well for me. There's millions of people who face the same problem, right? This product, I mean, Ben, you said it at the beginning, right? This is exactly what you wanted. You just didn't know you wanted it. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jordan ended up dropping out of school, heading into his, his sophomore year, called me up and my middle brother, Jake, and said, fellas, we got a big opportunity here. Just want to let you know what I'm working on. Uh, at the time, I was a financial analyst at a real estate firm up in New York, and I left my job to, to join him. It was supposed to be temporary. You know, I was supposed to just go in there for three to three to six months and, and make sure that my little brother wasn't messing his life up. Uh, now, six <laughs> years later, we're uh, we're still here, man. Today, we're 135 full time employees across the country. Um, third third largest bottled coffee in the U.S. right now behind mm. Starbucks and Dunkin. Yeah. Man, oh, it's, yeah. That, that was, first of all, that was an unbelievable overview yeah. of your life story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think you've done this before, number one. <laughs> we we want to get a little more granular, we want to get a little bit more detailed, and, and again, specifically about you, because CEO is a ridiculously challenging, demanding job, and it takes a certain personality in most cases. Mm -hmm. And so I want to understand, what was your personality like as a kid? Did, did you all, because we hear a lot of these mm -hmm entrepreneurs they said man I was selling baseball cards at eight I was doing you know this and that was that you as a kid were you a, were you the entrepreneur type as a kid man it's funny I'm I, so I'm of the three of us I'm, I'm not the entrepreneur you know I'm more of I'm more of the leader to make sure that we got the right people in the right places you know the right the right teammates working towards the right things uh as the oldest brother I sort of took on some of that burden of raising Jake and Jordan too my, my when my mom was working or my dad was doing his thing um, getting, getting a little personal here and, and my old man doesn't mind because there's, there's lessons in his story, but, uh, he banged his head a lot playing college football, you know, mm. and, and as a Isn't coming there? up as a kid, uh, he wasn't always to, able to get to work, you know, wasn't always able to get out of bed. And, and I mean, you guys all see teammates and yeah. classmates and, yeah. and coaches who, who, who deal with this shit. 
uh, he's doing, he's doing better now. He's, he's, um, in a much healthier place, but I kind of took some responsibility at a young age to say, Hey mom, I'm going to help you. Jacob Jordan, let's go. We we're going to get this thing going in the right direction. Um, so yeah, I think that leadership was always, always in me. You know, I, I was always the captain of my teams trying to be the, the president of the class type mm. type role. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that, that sort of lent its way naturally to, to, I guess, my personality. Uh, and then at Colgate, I was an athlete, you know, I was a quarterback in high school. But when I got to Colgate, yeah. I played one week, I was in the wide receivers meeting rooms. The next week I was in the running backs. The next week I was returning kicks. So I was a little bit of everything. And that, that experience, that general experience sort of empowered me to do what I do today because I'm not a specialist at anything, man. I got to know a little bit of finance, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of sales, uh, and, and that's, uh, I think my background coming up really got me ready to do what I do today. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, go back. I was going to say, I, I love that because I, I was similar in, in my journey is I was a quarterback in high school. I went, I went, got my hand down in the dirt. I was a DN in, in college, but, but I was always kind of labeled this like Jack of all trades, right? You do all these things and right. And there was like a negative connotation to, oh yeah, jack of all trades, master of none. And there's this whole thing mm-hmm. on Instagram going around. It's like, but the whole thing is really, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, but better than a master of one. Right. right. So the right. whole deal is in, in the experience that you get being multifaceted, right? And okay, hey, I can connect with the receiver room because the receiver room and, you know, the quarterback room is very different, like very different personalities, very different retention, very different ways to teach. So the fact that you can actually move from room to room is a strength, I think, and is, is, is a very important tool I'm sure you picked up on your way to being a CEO. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We'll get back to the story in a second. I actually want to pull on this thread a little bit because there's that concept of do you try to do everything mm-hmm. and, and not really master anything or do you just go one lane focus and, and this is all I know and this is what I do? I guess there's advantages to both. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you gravitate more towards you, you appreciate that you had all those skill sets and all those skill levels that you had to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And, and growing up, we played every sport. You know, I wasn't just a football player. Like my, my, my parents wanted us to be involved and be, be active. I think in college, Tyler, to your point, I mean, it was frustrating, man. I wanted an identity. You know, I wanted to belong in one of those rooms. And, and every week, depending on who we were playing, I didn't know what room I was going to be in. And, and I didn't I never really got to hone in on my skill set. You know, I never became great at running back because I didn't one week I was a wide receiver, you know, and yep. the next I was back doing a wild card quarterback thing, wildcat quarterback. Um, so once I got over that and, and really appreciated this sort of range of, of skills and the ability to be flexible, that's what life is. You know, like yeah. that's, we face different problems and, and yeah. the business calls for, for different solutions for me every single day. And, and I'm grateful to, to be able to, to span that range. Yeah. So let, let's go back, man. You mentioned your father and your father had some, some injuries that he occurred through, through college football and whatnot. Uh, Talk to talk to us about that those dynamics, man. Was there a lot of pain that went through this? Because you said you had to step up, and and, and I know you br- you rushed over it, but did you have to incur a lot of pain through that through that process of your father's? You know, now I got to step up. I got to grow up early on and 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 be the leader within the family, knowing that your father was going through some some issues. Yeah, you know. It- it didn't feel like pain back then, you know, because it, it, it was our dad, you know, that's all we knew yeah. for all we knew. That's what dads were like. You know, I didn't, I didn't know any different. Uh, and he was a, he was a great dad. He still is like, he, mm. he took us to practice. He showed up at, at every game, you know, if we needed cleats, he got us cleats, right? Like we didn't have a lot. And, and, uh, but he, he was always there to support us. 
he was the first phone call if, if something bad ever happened, you know, bailed my brother out of Georgia, out of jail one night. He, uh, he came to the hospital. I, I broke my neck. He came to the, he was the first guy to the hospital at three in the morning, you know? So, uh, he's, he's my boy. Um, but at, at the same time, so, so I'm the third, I'm, I'm James Joseph to the third. My dad is junior and everybody wants to be like their dad. You know, everybody right. wants to make their dad proud. And yeah, it was sad. Like when, when he was feeling sick or depressed or whatever, it's like, I wanted to go throw the ball in the backyard with my dad some days, you know, or I wanted him to, to teach me how to hunt or take me camping or things like that. And, uh, you, I, I just didn't, we didn't really get that all the time, but the time that we did get with him, uh, was, I cherished it. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never forget when I, eight, I was eight years old, when I first started playing tackle football, he dropped me off at practice and he said, not only should you win every sprint, be the first person to the water cooler. Yeah. I'm like, what, what the hell are you talking about? And he just means when the drill is over, hustle off the field. You know, and that's something that stuck with me. And yeah, I don't know if you guys, I mean, I'm sure you do have experiences where like some, somebody like that mom or dad said something to you at an early age and it kind of defined how you yeah. approached things mm-hmm. after that. And so I'm, I'm grateful for some of those moments that I've, I've had with my dad back then. So you mentioned you broke your neck. I mean, you kind of breezed over that deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're all sitting here like kind of turning our head a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what happened there? Yeah, man, we're going, we're going deep on this. Right? Like, yeah. um, so talk about pain, like emotional pain here. Right. So I was, the, I was the captain of my football team, my senior year, heading into Colgate, um, starting running back who knew where I was going to play my, my, my senior year, but starting to get recruited by some NFL teams, you know, talking to the chiefs and the jets and really looking forward to, to my best year yet. And that July camp starts in August, right? That July best shape of my life, ready for camp. A couple of my buddies come down to visit me at my, my cousin's house where I was staying for the summer. And my cousin had a go-kart. So mm. I took him out on the go-kart, two-seater go-kart, ended up rolling it, rolled the go-kart, fell out, cracked my C7 vertebrae. And I walked away from the accident. I didn't need surgery, no, no, no paralyzer or anything like that. But it was the end of my football career. I, I, oh. I called my coach the next day and I was like, hey, man, I, I, I messed up. I broke my neck. Um, I was cleared to play and all that. But at, at that point in my life, especially given my dad's situation, I was like, I got to hang up the cleats. Yeah. And, and Darren, you talk about pain that was the most painful thing for me, right? Mm. Trying to lead this team from the sidelines. And you guys know when you get hurt, like college football is a business. I don't care what level it's at. Like Mm -hmm. next man up, right? You go from being the guy, the leader on the team to people don't even recognize that you're in the room anymore. So I think that was hard, but that, that also allowed me to grow up quite a bit as a 21 year old kid. Uh, And again, I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing today. Had that not happened. Did you, Go ahead. I was just say speaking of going deep because I have a similar story. It was a knee injury. It wasn't a neck injury, but football was over before I was ready for it to be over. And that first two years, I mean, I'd got I got married that year after. I mean, just ask my wife. I was not pleasant to be. I did not handle that situation well at all. I wasn't. Not that much. he's pleasant to be around <laughs> yeah, now. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm still the guy in the back. Like, oh, if I had to hurt my knee, <laughs> relative. Coach, you put me in. <laughs> no, but but really though, those first couple of years were tough because yeah. I had done all this. I, I, and we talk about identity all the time. I'd put all my whole identity into this one thing, and then it was over. And now, what do I do? Was there anything like that for you? Or were you able to move past that fairly quickly? Yeah, I mean. I, I didn't really hang up the cleats right away because when my neck healed, it, so I broke it in July, I was healed by the end of September and I was cleared to play by the end of October. 
And we were out of the playoffs already. So I was like, look, I'm not going to come back and risk something with, with a couple mm-hmm. meaningless games left. But I had that, that red shirt, you know, I had that medical red shirt. So I was looking, I was applying to grad schools, got into Wake Forest. I was going to walk onto the team down there. And then uh, what I did during the season, because I had extra time and wasn't doing the practices and the lifts and stuff, I just started networking with everybody at Colgate who I could network with. And I ended up that the February of my senior year, I got a, a pretty good job on Wall Street. And I was like, damn, it's tough to turn down a paycheck to go play another yeah. year of college football. Yeah. Uh, so I did turn my turn my extra time into productivity. Um, but I mean, you guys, I'm sure you feel it to this day. Like I watch football on TV. I'm like, damn, I could still do that. Mm, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. give me the ball. Right, no, yeah. no, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I break on the first play, but, it, it, it's but in my head, for sure, I can do it. For sure, for sure. So, so, but how how was that transitioning? Because you know, even being a leader, even being kind of the within the locker room, you're the guy that everybody kind of looks to for leadership. But then transitioning, especially into Wall Street, right? That's that's a different. That's a whole different animal. What I mean, what was what were your expectations going to it and what was reality of it? I think expectations were, um, it's a fast way to make money, you know, and, and you look up at all these alumni, the, the, the people who are successful, uh, ones driving the nice cars with the, the big bank rolls and stuff. And you're like, Oh shit, they must be happy. Right. Yeah. There must be, there must be something to this real estate thing or this finance thing that, that people find passion in. I just never got that passion, you know, like it wasn't for me, it wasn't uh, like, I wasn't helping anybody, you know, I, I, it was hard and I was working long hours, but like, I wasn't really challenging myself or growing as an individual. So um, it was an easy decision for me to, to say to Jordan, like, Hey man, I'm going to leave what I'm doing to, yeah. to come join me. The money here isn't, isn't worth it for me. You know, and I walked away from a big salary for nothing. You know, we, mm. didn't, we didn't pay ourselves at super coffee for the first two and a half years. I was, I'll send you guys a picture after this. I was literally the Bud Light guy at Baltimore Ravens games. On the no weekend. way. You know, no way. Was, yeah. yeah. It's eight, $8 beers. I was the guy with the, the thing on my shoulder, but I'd make like 400 bucks a game and that would pay for my week. You know, like that's, that's no, wait a minute. Did. So I got to ask you a question. So you're walking down the stairs with this Bud Light on your shoulder, right? And you yeah, just yeah. left wall street, correct? Yep, okay. That's right. So how many times were you walking down this? And I got to be asking a question. Jim. How many times were you walking down? They were like, you know, you were yelling. They know you had to be yelling, Bud Light or beer or whatever, right? How many times did you sit there and think, what the fuck am I doing? Dude, every time. I mean, at first it was like, it was kind of superficial because I was like, oh, this is going to be a good story someday. You know, yeah. I'm going to make it big. I'm going to show this picture to people. Uh, but then I was like, damn, this is humbling. What got me, I, I had, I was always up in the nosebleed sections because like the dudes who have been doing it a while got the best sections. Yeah. One week I got down to a, to a good section and I was doing my thing. I had my red shirt on with all the pins all over it, you know, and uh, <laughs> somebody was like, yo, but Bud Light, Bud Light. And I look and it's three kids that I graduated with. Oh, and they were, oh they were yeah. Football players. They were like nerdy Colgate liberal arts people. Yeah. And they were like, oh, dude, this sucks for you. Like, oh, I'm sorry. They gave me a great tip, but it was like a, a, a pity tip. A pity tip. Dude, our stories are very similar. Not that I've started a, a I was half like, a oh, billion oh, dollar hey, I was going to say, oh, really? Are they big? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, up to the point where you actually started doing something, our stories are very similar. <laughs> because my first job was cleaning toilets, changing light bulbs, moving furniture. And you're mm. right. It's like, at first, it's like, ah, you, you do what you got to do. You got to pay yeah. the bills. You got to take care of the family. But that pride takes a big yeah. hit when yeah. you're sitting here mm-hmm. scrubbing a toilet after people are like, I've got a college degree. I was yeah. supposed to be doing this. 
And now I'm literally scrubbing toilets. I mean, 100%. That, that, the pride takes a big hit. There's that, that Kurt Warner movie that just came out, like The Underdog or whatever. Yeah. And it's when he's out and he's in the grocery store and like, they're like oh my gosh, that's that's Kurt Warner, like the quarterback of what was it, Eastern so, Iowa yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And and it was like that humbling moment. And I had the same thing. I used to sling Christmas trees. You were slinging about lights. I was slinging Christmas trees, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't afford anything else. And they're like, hey, didn't, didn't you play at Fresno State? Weren't you, aren't you Tyler Klotz? <laughs> like, no, no, don't know the guy, <laughs> but I get it, man. But again, it's the, the humility of that it, it as a CEO now. Right. And, and even through the times that you were building it, right. The, the humility and relatability that you have as you bring on team members, right. You can speak and you can connect and you can motivate because like, Hey, listen, you may be in the warehouse right now. Mm. You may be, you know, you may be in finance and just doing the grunt work or the accounting work. But listen, like this is building something. This is building character. This is building and keep going, keep pushing because mm. this is not the end. Right. And you can relate to that because you've been there. No doubt, man. And, and we say it all the time, like how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. Right. So if you're yeah. if you're slacking off on the warehouse floor. What, that's how you're going to be if we elevate you to a manager position or a director position. And I think there's, there's a respect that's earned um, when, when you lead by example, you know, when you do the Wait, hold on. You have you to, ask. you have to earn things these days. <laughs> <laughs> is that, yeah, that's part of is that, is what that, does that mean? Is that earn? something you guys have patented over there at super coffee? <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, we deal with that too. Sometimes but, uh, no, in, in all seriousness, it goes back to being the first person to the water cooler. You know, like we'll never ask our team to do something that we don't do. And, and my brothers and I, you'll see us out there stocking shelves every day. You know, we were just mm. talking about Kroger up in Dallas those are some of our best displays in the country. And, and we built some of them with our teammates, you know, they are, um, they are damn good displays. Think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that just goes back to the respect piece, you know, cause like this is our first time doing it too. You know, we're yeah. I want to take a quick break and thank our partners sleep number and highlight a couple of things they're doing guys. These sleep number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out, a sleep number store, wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep number is definitely changing the game when it comes to betting. So get yourself the sleep number, get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. So let's, let's talk about it. Let's go back a little bit. Cause I want to talk about, you know, your time on wall street and you get the call, your brother calls you talk, tell us about, tell us that story and how, you know, what your thoughts were as far as making that jump. Yeah. So he, he actually sent me a letter and, and just explaining the opportunity and, and why this was so special to him and important to him. And I told you, he wanted to be the next Steve Nash and, and he was an obsessive personality, right? Like Jordan would go, he would shoot free throws for hours. And once I saw that obsession shift from basketball to entrepreneurship, I was like, dang, there's no, there's no convincing him otherwise. So I want to be supportive of this. Uh, I knew nothing about coffee. I didn't think it was a good idea. You know, mm -hmm. the product tasted good. Uh, and, and back then this is the time, this is years after like vitamin water sold the Coke for $4 billion. Oh, yeah. Right. So like, mm -hmm. there were, there were unicorn examples of like, if you do this right, you can make a lot of money. That's not why we do this. You know, like we would, we would have quit a long time ago if it was just for that. Uh, but this idea of removing sugar from people's diets, creating positive energy, you know, helping people live a healthier, healthier lifestyle 
uh, is motivating. Being the underdog again is motivating. You know, mm. odds are always against us. Uh, like this isn't supposed to work. You know, so many so many beverage brands start every year and fail. So that drives me too. Um, and with with my brothers is like that challenge. Every day there was a new problem to solve. There still is. And I liked that, man. It was always something new. No two days are the same for me. Like I could never be an accountant or, or something where I had to do the same thing every day. Um, so I think that that piece of my personality is, is, a, is a good fit for what we do here, mm. too. So you're obviously passionate about the product, right? It, it, it adds value to people. It, it helps people become healthier, aware. But is it and you just mentioned it, right? Is it the challenge that excites you more or is it a product that excites you more? Um, I think the, the challenge drives me in anything, right? Like yeah. if there's a, if there's a word, if somebody's like, Hey, go climb that mountain. I bet you can't do it in 30 minutes. Right. Yeah. Like I like that, that, that kind of thing. Uh, but the, what, what I'm passionate about is sort of changing the way that, that people consume their food and drinks, right? Mm. Like no, nobody should ever get 45 grams of sugar in one mm. beverage, whether it's a Coca-Cola mm. or a Starbucks frappuccino. Uh, so what we unlocked pretty early on is like, this thing has to taste good. You know, we're yeah. not going to win this battle if we're trying to educate people on what medium chain triglycerides are yeah. right? and asking them to, to pinch their nose and drink a healthy shot or something like that. So uh, it, it tastes good. It's good for people. And I think that if we can be at the forefront of this movement, it's going to create a lot of change across the industry, not yeah. just with coffee. Yeah. You know, I, I keep on going back. I'm hearing your story and I keep on going back to, you know, you were never a CEO. This is your, when you, and I guess I want to go back because there's so many entrepreneurs who listen to our show here, but Let's go back to the to day one. Your brother calls you. You go. You get the. You go through that process. You say, "Yeah, I'm going to join." What's the coffee like then? Is it, is the name Super Coffee? Has your brother Jordan already named it Super Coffee, or do you guys have name iterations you have to go through? Yeah, yeah. So we've evolved. I mean, we still evolve to this day. The labeling, the packaging, mm-hmm. the 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 formula always improves. So back then, <laughs> I think our first product had like six grams of sugar in it from agave, some, something something mm-hmm. like that. So we were low sugar. Uh, it always had protein, always had MCT oil, and always had um, more more caffeine than a regular coffee. Uh, but it was Ceneva. The name of the brand was Ceneva, and it means gift from the sun. Mm-hmm. Jordan was pretty influenced back then by Honest Tea. A guy named yeah. Seth mm-hmm. Golden started yeah. Honest Tea, sold it to, to Coca-Cola. And Seth wrote a book called Mission in a Bottle, and he built his brand at Whole Foods. It's a really natural thing, low sugar compared to like a Lipton or a Snapple, for instance. Uh, so we kind of went that natural route, you know, more of like a Whole Foods farmer's market type mm-hmm. vibe. So Ceneva kind of fit the bill. But we always described it as Ceneva super coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Like what is Ceneva? Ceneva is a super coffee. You know, it's coffee plus. It's enhanced coffee. Uh, so I think 2018, um, after we went on Shark, we went on Shark Tank early 2018, which we could talk about. After that, we uh, we dropped the Ceneva and, and really became known as Super Coffee. The other thing about Super Coffee that's interesting for entrepreneurs is you can't own the word super and you can't own the word coffee, mm. right? They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're not distinct and you can't put them together and own them either. So it wasn't until 2018 where we finally had enough sales, enough marketing dollars spent, enough brand awareness that those two words became distinct and unique to us. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we acquired that trademark in, in uh, I think, year three or four. And uh, that's what allowed us to go to go all in with that name. Yeah. T- tell us about those early years. This is a pretty interesting story about how you guys were actually making the actual product, the actual coffee. This is a pretty interesting story. Tell yeah. Us about so that. in the food and beverage industry, like you, you can't, you can't sell to stores unless you have a distributor and a distributor doesn't carry you unless you have stores and without stores, you can't really produce out of a contract manufacturing facility either because they they have minimums, you know? So like, 
if we have no place to sell this stuff, why would we produce a hundred thousand cases? Right? Like we, we, it, we couldn't do it that way. So we said, you know what, we're going to make the stuff ourselves and we're going to be our distributor. That way we don't have to worry about mm-hmm. minimums. We can do it one store at a time. So we found a Domino sugar factory in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, that the, the guy had an old bottling line in the back and it, had, it was like a hundred gallon kettle. He's like, look, fellas, my, uh, my, my last shift ends at 8 PM and my first shift gets in in the morning at 6 AM. As long as you're in after eight and out before six and you clean up my place, you can use this, like just pay me, pay me a hundred bucks, whatever it is. So we would produce the product in a hundred gallon kettle overnight and fill it in the bottles. And then the next morning we would sort of rock, paper, scissors, shoot to see who would deliver that batch to the grocery stores. And in that first year, I think we built it up to like 20 stores from DC to Baltimore. Wow. Uh, and it was, we'd rotate every day who was, who was del- making the deliveries, um, printing out the, uh, the invoices on shelves or not shelf space on um, QuickBooks. You know, like we all, we all kind of just stepped up and did the work. And then on the weekends, we'd go into those stores and we'd pour samples, you know, and that's, that's what we, it was like control what you can control. If we're only going to yeah. be in one store. We're going to support the hell out of that store until we're the best selling coffee in that mm. damn store. Yeah. See, I love, so question back to the early days, there's no playbook, right? There's no right. like, Hey, Hey, here's how to be a CEO. Here's how to be, you know, a CFO. Here's how to be a COO. Like, so how did you learn that? Was it just, Hey, the three of us, we're just, we're figuring this out. And then we're just kind of creating, creating this playbook as we go. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. So uh, when I was 22, 23, I, I struggled with this because like, I think we all have expectations of mm. what it means to be a CEO or what a CEO is like, mm. you know, and I was trying to be that I used to wear like a, a button down and a tie and shit. <laughs> and I was like, am I doing this right? You know, yeah, am yeah. I being a CEO? And, and meanwhile, to your point, there is no playbook. The right way is the way that works. And the way that worked for us was just being authentic. You know, it, all, it comes back to mom's lesson of just work hard and be nice to people. That's table stakes. If you do those two things, chances are the ball is going to bounce in your favor. Uh, And then really just putting in that time and effort and and you evolve. I think that the advice I would give myself back then is like, we would look up to guys like Seth Goldman and and other founders and entrepreneurs and be like, wow, those dudes are untouchable. You know, they have Mm. something that we don't have to to do what they've achieved and build what they've built. Like we're not capable of that. Right. They're, they're, they're special. Meanwhile, today, like our business is three times the size honesty ever got to be. Mm. And it's one, it's humbling, but two, my advice to 22 year old self is like, dude, you got this, you know, like you're the guy to do this, right. The, the, the people that you look up to uh, were in your seat. So I think, I think unchecked expectations can be, can be pretty dangerous. So um, I think believing in yourself at an early day, early days, and then putting in the work to evolve is, is critical. And those are some tough dynamics as well, because you're, you're working with, two of your brothers. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, trust me, I've seen all the stories and including self, there's no way I can work with my two brothers, like no way in hell. specifically with egos involved. So Jordan creates the brand. He asks you to come on to, to the B to CEO. There's gotta be a shitload of humility in Jordan to make that, you know, basically defer to you to run this company. Yeah. Yeah. So it it wasn't always that way. When I first started, Jordan was the CEO Mm -hmm. and, uh, so after year one, our first year was Jake's senior year at Georgetown. He graduated in May. So we got Jake full-time in May of year one and Jake, Jake Jordan and I are running the business. Jordan's head coach at at Philly. You calls him. He's like, Hey, DeSico, man, I need a point guard. I know you, you, you just sat this last season out, but like, can you come back? And so we sent Jordan back to school. Mm, and at wow. that point we, we sort of made the call. We're like, 
look, we can't have our CEO playing a full-time student athlete too. So that's kind of when I stepped up really from an investor relations perspective, just to mm. give our investors confidence that we're all in, we're focused on this right. thing. And Jordan balled out that year. It was awesome, man. Like he, he awesome. averaged 30 points a game. He's making deliveries on the weekend. So that was, that well, was you had the cool. formula dialed in by then though. So that's, that's, right. part, that's probably why good <laughs> right, little, pre, right. good little pregame. Yeah. Drink. Yeah. yeah. So I always joke that uh, even though the three of us started this at the same time, I'm the only guy that's been here full time for uh, for the last six years. Jake was <laughs> year the, the OG. Uh, yeah, exactly. Let the record show it. Um, <laughs> but no, Darren, to your point, like ego and communication is key, right? Because mm-hmm. like, if if I see you doing something wrong and you're my brother, I'd be like, Jake, dude, you were you're five minutes late to that meeting. Mm. As as little kids, he'd be like, Fuck you! Don't tell me what to do. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. But now he's like, All right, I I hear you. Like t- hearing that feedback is pissing me off but you're giving me that feedback because you want me to be better. You want this company to be better. So you kind of got to check your ego at the door. And I think the benefit you get from three brothers is that built in trust, you know, Mm -hmm. like we could be split up California, New York, Austin, all doing different things, but we know we're grinding towards the same goal. Um, but that, that constant communication is key. And, and now that we're in Austin, we, uh, we get breakfast every Monday morning at 7am. That's awesome. That's great. uh, yeah. Yeah. Question, question. So as, as you're growing, you're, you're obviously going through growing pains. Um, you, you've got challenges that present themselves. You, you may have customers that aren't happy. How, how did you guys commit to solving problems, whether it's with a customer, like an end user, or it's a distributor, how are, what is your mindset in solving those problems? Yeah. So we don't really have a framework for it. It, It's sort of, we, we address them as they come, you know, and Every day there's a new fire drill, whether mm. somebody gets shorted product. Just this past week, we uh, we have an exclusive distributor in New York City, which means that they're the only person allowed mm. to distribute our product anywhere in New York City. Uh, we sold our product into Sam's Club, showed up in two Sam's Clubs in New York City, and our distributor called us heated. He's like, well, you guys are violating my agreement. How is this product at Sam's Club? How did this get there? And that was a little bit of a fire drill. So we, yeah. we sent him one of our, our guys, and they picked it up, and, and we, we addressed it. Uh, but we really take it as it comes. And, and I think our philosophy is like, leave it better than you found it. You know, if somebody's mm-hmm. unhappy, mm-hmm. obviously you can't really, you, you can't really bend, bend or, or break for everybody who has a complaint or an opinion. Uh, but customer service is one of our highest priorities. Right. God, I got to keep, there's so much up oh, here, yeah. man, because I, I got to go back just running a business. I, I, I have a little software company, so I'm, I'm, I'm listening to your story and I want to know one thing about the money raise was the money raise of friends and family first money raise that you went through. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, we didn't, we didn't come from money. So we didn't really have a network of investors, mm-hmm. you know, and mom and dad couldn't, couldn't invest in the business. You know, our mom worked at the Y and our dad was like a construction guy. Um, and with, so with that, like our two, two aunts, they, uh, they never had any kids. So they put in 30 grand in, in year one. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, that was enough for us to get the labels, to get the delivery van and, and really go build out that selling story in one store and then two stores mm-hmm. and then three stores. Once that 30 grand ran out, we had, we were like, Hey, we're the, we're the best selling bottle of coffee in these three stores, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, that, that, that's how the, that's what, how the pitch evolved is like, with your money, we could take what we're doing in these three stores and do it in 30 stores, mm. 300 stores, mm-hmm. 3,000 stores. So for the first four years, we just raised a series of convertible notes, you know, nothing really formal. Like every time we'd run out of cash, we'd go raise a hundred grand or 500 mm-hmm. grand, all from people who we'd meet along the way. 
And then it wasn't until the end of 2018 where we raised our first institutional round. We, we brought on a venture uh, a VC fund uh, called Anthos Capital. They, they put in 15 million bucks uh, at like a $50 million valuation. And that was the first cash we needed to really build out the team and national distribution. Right. So, okay. So you said that was 18 and then you said Shark Tank also happened in 18. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So Shark Tank happened in February of 18. Okay. And we went on that show. We were asking for a million dollars for 10% of the business, right? So okay. 10, $10 million valuation. We didn't even get, get an offer from any of the sharks. Mm. You know, they, they were like, look, the product doesn't taste great. You guys have are pretty small, super expensive to win in beverage. Like we're not interested in this. I mean, they were, they were very complimentary and proud of like who, who the effort we were putting forth. But then eight months later, we go and raise 15 million at a 50 million valuation. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You raised 15 off a $50 million valuation. Yeah. The same year. Holy Darren, you're going to have to take over the interview because he's starting to lose me on this business talk. (laughs) (laughs) You two go. (laughs) No, I just, you know, telling you, man, your story, because the one thing about starting a business is you have to have people that believe in you. Like Mm. you have to create the story. You're telling a story and, and those that are taking that risk are saying, okay, I'm believing your story. You have potential to go X, Y, and Z. So, uh, you know, a lot, a lot, maybe a lot of our listeners probably don't know what it feels like to, to, you know, they, they see the finished product, but all the, the, the sleepless nights because you're dealing with other people's money. Right. Yeah. Well, th- that's it, man. And it's, it started with Jordan's vision, you know, like the same letter that he wrote me saying how big this could be and how, how big our impact could be and how bad Starbucks was and all this, like that for the first five years, that was still the pitch, you know, because we didn't have the sales or the history. Like yeah. we were a fraction of, of bottled coffee in the U S so we were getting people to believe in what this could have been. Uh, and I think that's every entrepreneur's job. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's the sad thing is like these last couple of years, you see people who are pretty persuasive and sell their vision and raise hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. and yeah. then go out of business pretty yeah. quick, you know? Yeah. So you got to be careful and you got to back it up. And, and now today we're, we're finally at a place where we got the sales, we got the momentum that but that fundraising like tour Ooh. right because if you if you're going out and raising institutional money it's not like hey first one we hit we land right but that's got to be and I haven't been through it I've I've been through much smaller scales of it but it's like that's that's got to be hard right trying to convince people that you're good enough mm-hmm. I mean yeah so I, walk us through kind of that mindset as you're going into these meetings, right? I'm sure you're, you're, you're going to some in Manhattan and you're going, I mean, you, these big institutional firms that like are grilling you on the fine, fine details and then are just judging you the entire time. What is that? What is that mindset going into those? Totally. And, and, and so for the first year, I'd reach out to the big, the big institutional firms, the angel funds, the VC funds, all that. And what I learned throughout that year is that they're, they're too critical of a business that doesn't have good, good numbers, you right. know, like, mm-hmm. the, like they have certain criteria for, um, I don't know, minimum revenue or yeah. gross margin profiles, things like that. We didn't have any of that, you know? So I was like, screw this. We're not going to go to the the standard food and beverage investors. We, I called it friends, family, and fools. Anybody who was willing to write a check <laughs> for us. The name of the game back then was like, just make it to the next milestone. Yeah. You know, if we could get money from real estate guys or lawyers or, or rich, rich kids who we played football with, you know, like mm. that's the types of people that, that we would raise from. 
Uh, and that's what enabled us to go get that sales data to finally warrant, uh, mm-hmm. real conversations with the VCs. But yeah, I mean, Tyler, to your point, man, like I think one out of every hundred conversations I had led to a second call or yeah. a next step. Wow. Yeah. yeah, man, that's oh, tough because, God. because like you said, you've got to find the people that, that can make a decision that, that there's no formula for, right? Because all these VCs, private equity groups, right? It's like, okay, hey, what's revenue? What's the EBITDA? What's the, okay, let me see this. Okay, does it fit? No, it doesn't fit. We'll move on. And they're moving on to the next deal. But you've got you've got to go find somebody, convince yeah. somebody that's like, that's I tough. believe in the mission and I believe in the yeah. vision. And I believe mostly, mostly, and you listen to the the, the investors that are successful, is I believe in the people. people. Yeah, yeah that, the product, that's what people, I was going to yeah. ask you is, is how dialed in was y'all's mission at the time? Because I got to imagine that's what separates you from all these these pieces of paper is your mission. Yeah, yeah. And the, the mission, like the, the, the fun, like philosophical mission is to mass produce positive energy. But when you break that down, what, what does that mean, right? Like, the, 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 the elephant in the room is Starbucks, Starbucks Frappuccino doing over $3 billion a year. Now, if we could continue to chip away at their revenue and be the healthy alternative uh, on the shelf to, to where every, every Frappuccino is sold, that's a big opportunity. You know, that's a, that's a big opportunity. And, and when you break it down, it's like, Hey, we're doing it in 30 stores right now, 300 by the end of the year, 3000 next year. And you, you go out and achieve those milestones that you tell people, that story becomes a lot more believable. It's like, wow, they're, they're sort of doing what they said they're going to do. And they're they're And granted it was very, still very small scale back then. Uh, but yeah, they, they believed in, in the vision and they believed in our hustle, you know, like they didn't care if we were selling coffee or, or soap, you know, they, they were like, huh. these guys are going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was probably some stubborn competitive fuel that we, we brought to every meeting. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think that, the, the, the interesting thing is like having re- over the last six years, we've raised 150 million bucks and my brothers and I, we collectively, we each own about 5% of the company. You know, we control three out of five board seats, but when you bring investors in to grow your business, you're giving up a lot, you know, yeah. and granted, I mean, look, it's 5% of a, a, a very large number. So yeah. it's, it's life-changing money and we're grateful for it. But uh, I, I think you, there, there are concessions you have to make along the way. If you want to grow fast, you want to yeah. scale fast. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, uh, well, I was just saying, do you, these guys are more business minded, so they're going to keep peppering you with business questions. I'm, <laughs> I'm more fascinated by the mentality at this time. Do you, do you look at any times now that you went through back then and, and, and were you able to, I guess the best way to ask is, were there any times that you look back on and you think, man, this really sucks, but you're so glad that you went through that. I mean, can you think of any scenarios where when you were going through it, it was horrible, but now looking back, it's like, that's what built us. Yeah, I think when we make when we used to make the deliveries, that was tough because it's it's super manual labor. You know, you got to go find the right people in the store to get the invoices signed and stock the product on the shelf. Like putting 12 bottles of this stuff on the shelf takes a few minutes, you know, to organize it and categorize it. And when you're dropping off hundreds of bottles a day, like it's a long day and it's exhausting. But what we learned was how to win within the walls of a grocery store. You know, because most brands, they don't do that. They don't touch their products. They, they give it to a distributor and hope the distributor gets it on the shelf. For us, I mean, you, you can walk into any Kroger in Dallas, you're going to see floor displays, you're going to see refrigerators, you're going to see television commercials playing our, our Shark Tank videos, you know, like that's how you disrupt that point of purchase. And we wouldn't have learned that had we not been so intimately involved oh, with building yeah. our hand. That's yeah. a great point. All right, I want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, we are really, really humbled 
uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, but it's just an the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, but it's just a short drive of 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. That's great. So when you scaled, when you, when you got that first institutional investment, and you're like, okay, hey, we're we're starting our distribution national. That takes people. So how has it been growing the company, finding the right type of people to bring in and execute your mission? Um, yeah, so we're we're still we're still going through the, these evolutions today. And and one thing I'll say, sort of looking back on the business, like we we've been through three CFOs so far, and and not because it's a cursed position, but like the guy who took us from 1 million in sales to 5 million wasn't the right person to take us from 5 million to 50 million. You know, and the person that took us from 50 to a hundred wasn't the right person to take us from a hundred to 500. So I think being, I don't want to say using people as a means to an end, but uh, sometimes the business grows faster than some of the individuals within it. In the early days, like we, we want, we, all we knew about our business was that it was, it was difficult and you needed to hang in there. You needed to be resilient and who better to, to handle those three things than athletes. So we did hire some of our teammates. We did hire uh, people who were tough, people who showed initiative. Uh, Our first employee, I'll never forget it. This is a a good story. Uh, Reached out to us. It was just me and my brothers working down in DC. And he was like, Hey, I, I, I read some articles about you guys. I love what you're doing. I work at a government agency. I'm not happy here. I want to come help you build this, this mission. And I was like, look, man, I don't know what skills you need. I don't know what questions to ask you. Like I've never done this before. All I know is this shit's really hard. And if you re- if you want to work with us, meet me at this trail in the woods at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. And Buddy showed up. He showed up, and I was like, "All right, follow me." I just ran. I just ran through the through the trees. We were jumping logs and running through sticks. We were covered in mud, rolling ankles and shit. And he didn't quit. You know, all I wanted to see was like, and we were chatting the whole time. I was getting to know him, but like. I wanted to see like, is he going to complain? Is he going to back out? Is he going to take a break? And like, this dude was hurting. I was like, you got the job, man. And, and to, oh, wow. to this day, four and a half years later, yeah. he's still he's still with us. He's he's almost at the VP level now. That's that awesome. is a great um, story. Darren, you would have never a, got my black ass was, out there in the woods <laughs> running at 6 a.m. Is the sun in the woods? I've seen horror movies no, about no. this. I ain't stupid. I don't, I don't like more rolling ankles my ass. No, we ain't. I don't like coffee that much anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, Darren, this, this is a new interview tactic. For that you. is, man. We got to start doing this. We got to start doing this. No, but yes. you take people to the inner city and say, you survive a night, you can yeah. work with yeah, me. Yeah, I'm not trying to run. <laughs> <laughs> man, well, I see. Yeah, I love that. I love the mindset of it. And, and the question, because that's something that, that we've all talked about, right? As, as athletes transition, you know, you hear, you hear these companies say, yeah, athletes are the best because they're hardworking, they're dedicated, but that's not, that's not the case across the board. Because as I mentioned earlier, athletes are used to following a playbook, following a schedule, being told where to go, how to do it. And then, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Um, But uh, the challenge is, is a lot of these guys are just really talented and can do it with very little effort. 
right? right. So how has it been in your experience? You, you mentioned one athlete that's been great, uh, but how is it, how has your experience been hiring athletes within your company? Uh, it's been good. It's been good. And, and the first, the first couple of years, it was just teammates sort of like wheeling and dealing, trying to, to figure out how to do this stuff, working hard, sleeping in their cars, you know, putting in the, the hours. And that was fun, man. You know, these were some of our best friends from college. And then come 2018, we look around, we're 15, 15 people. And we're like, Oh shit, we, we all kind of look alike, you know, a bunch of white dudes, a bunch of athletes. Yeah. And we're like, we gotta, we gotta get ahead of this because we're about to raise some money and scale yeah. this business. So we, uh, we hired my, uh, one of my philosophy professors from Colgate to come in and help us set some ethical foundation for scaling. Mm. And from that point on, we, uh, we, we began to diversify, not to hit the check the numbers or hit the boxes, but to get that broader group of people yeah. into the organization. And I'm sure, sure you guys remember from your time as student athletes, uh, the, the, the interesting thing is like, there's always a rift between people who don't play sports and people who are just there for school, yeah. you know, and now today, I mean, we have a healthy mix of both of those things. So being cognizant, not to just beat, beat people up, like beat the drum, pat people on the back and in, in a very, like, I don't know, locker room kind of way and, yeah. and make sure everybody feels included. So that's been an interesting part of the evolution as well. Um, but athletes have been great. And I think building the team for, to, to sort of have these diverse backgrounds has been awesome too. We still got a lot of work to do. Uh, but for the most part, the, the foundation has been laid. So Jimmy, where have you seen your growth personally in the time that you started, uh, and, and came on to super coffee personally, what has been your growth pattern? Yeah, I think, um, less anxious, you know, more, more confident in myself when, when bad things happen, I don't get as stressed as, as I usually do. It's like su such as life. Um, and I, I think with that, that, that comes, a uh, just this resolute, um, I don't know, confidence in solving problems, right? Mm -hmm. Like, whereas some people today on the team, something bad happens. They're like, Jim, Oh my God, it's the yeah. worst thing ever. Like this business is, is tanked. And mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, let's calm down. Let's see what, what the, uh, what the answer is here. And then one thing we learned is like, leaders never get stuck. You know, there's mm -hmm. never a situation where we can't have an answer. You know, there's always a path forward. And, and if it's not obvious in the beginning, that means you just got to look a little bit different to get there. So I think having that confidence to find a solution gives me this, this nice sense of like calmness that no matter what, we'll be all right moving forward. You know, I'm not sure how we're going to get forward, but we're going to get forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, it wasn't always that way. I, I used to be pretty like pessimistic or doom and gloom. Like if this doesn't happen, then we're screwed. Uh, but what we've learned is like, there's always, there's always a, a way forward. That's well, awesome. What about the last couple of years? You know, the, the pandemic has presented challenges for, <clears throat> for certain companies, supply chain issues, things like that. When everything went down in 2020, did that impact you guys at all? Did, did you, you know, how, how did that work? How did you guys adjust to that? Yeah. So our industry was not helped by the pandemic. You know, some industries benefited and I think the health health trends definitely helped. People were, were open to trying healthier things, but people just weren't going to grocery stores and they certainly weren't going to gas stations. You know, they stopped commuting their the grab and go business really took a hit. So up until that March, we had this nice spike, this great momentum. Our bottle coffee season is really from May through September. So we were building that up. And then end of March, early April, when that the economy shut down, we saw a tick in sales or a downtick in sales that didn't get picked back up again until August. Mm. So I say this, the pandemic probably set us back a full 12 months, you know, like our 2021 numbers were what we should have done in 2020. Mm. Um, and the up until 2020, before the pandemic, it was kind of the wild west. You know, my brothers were just out there making plays. We were hiring good people. We were selling product into good accounts. We were launching new products. 
and we were just focused on growth, you know, and, and the story to investors was just growth. And now because of supply chain constraints and inflation and increased costs, it's like, we got to build a good business, right? Yeah. It's not all about growth. So I think my, my professional development has really accelerated over the last couple of years, focused on things like gross margin improvements and trade spend and different accounting treatments. Like when, when we closed our series C last summer, we raised a hundred million bucks and the series C investor said, look, I love you guys. I love your brand, but your, your accounting and your processes and your operations looks like a series A company. You know, you guys yeah. are a couple of years behind here. The good news is like the brand and the revenue and the repeat purchases. That's the hard part. You can fix the accounting stuff. Uh, so that's really what I've been focused on probably the last nine months is, is fixing the, uh, the backend systems with our team. That's great. So you, you talked about professional development. Um, along the way, you figured out a lot on, on your own. You, as three brothers, you guys have figured out a lot. But what mentors ha have, have poured into you? Not what, but what does a mentor look like for you? And, and, and has that been a big part of your growth and leaning on, you know, you know, individuals that have been through something similar or can, you know, can teach you something? Yeah, yeah. I think those last two things you said, something similar can teach you something really opened up our whole world of mentors. Like the first guy I used to call when I had issues with employees or recruiting was my head football coach at college. Mm. I was like, coach, like we got this one bad egg. Like how do you, how do you deal with a player or a teammate who isn't, isn't drinking the Kool-Aid, right. Or is challenging the culture, you know? So leaning on coaches and, and people who uh, I looked up to as role models, mm -hmm. not necessarily beverage executives or business professionals, things like that um, was, was super helpful. Uh, and that's certainly evolved. You know, we've, we've gotten to know different investors, different athletes, different CEOs over the years, um, which has been, been great consistently on a, on a weekly basis. I see, I see a therapist, uh, every week, once a, mm. on, once a week on Monday. And then my brothers and I all share the same executive coach. Mm. Um, so I think being willing to put in that work to grow yeah. is, is awesome. It's not awesome. It's essential to us. And cause the, the thing is like, we know that we don't have all the answers, you know, and, and we have to learn. I think that curiosity has been, been pivotal. Uh, but Darren, you started it when we were talking about my dad earlier, it's like, the four of us are, are big, tough dudes. You know, we don't really talk about emotions. We mm -hmm. don't really talk about what we're scared about or what we're worried about or, or things like that. And I found that the more I make myself vulnerable and admit my fears or admit mm -hmm. that I know what I don't know, or, um, it, it, it really, uh, it really unlocks growth and potential and learning. Right. Oh, man, man, we, we know you only got a couple minutes left here as you look towards the, unless you guys got, okay. I'm thinking as you look towards the future, and, and continuing the growth because you said it earlier the money is great but it's not you would have quit a long time ago if it was just about the money so where are you guys headed going forward how are you going to change continue to change the industry yeah so we're, we're trying to bring other brands along with us now too i think that everybody gets tunnel vision on what they're trying to build and and it's us versus the world or them versus the world things like that and just last week we we're in anaheim for for it's called natural products expo west it's the biggest food show in the natural products industry 3,000 brands there, 75,000 people walking the floor. And you look around and, and there's super coffee is the healthy alternative to Starbucks, right? Zero sugar, low calorie. You got healthy sugar-free cereals. You got sugar-free sodas. You got, you got uh, healthy breads, all of these categories. So what we started, super coffee started, started this coalition earlier this year. It's called ACEs, the Alliance to Control Excessive Sugar. And we just teamed up with all these other brands who are doing better for you in a flavorful way in high sugar categories. Uh, and for us, we measure our impact by pounds of sugar removed from America's diet 
Uh, so just this year, we, we, we eclipsed 10 million pounds of sugar, assuming that for every super coffee drank, that's one less Starbucks Frappuccino. Over the last six years, we've removed 10 million pounds of sugar from America's diet. And we think that's good. We think that battles mm. metabolic disease and all that. So what we did was we teamed up with other brands on similar missions. And now that 10 million is now 100 million, right? And wow. by 2025, we want to be a billion pounds of sugar removed. So it, it's gotten greater than, than just us, which yeah. is really cool. And people who are like, kind of had that tunnel vision are now like, damn, we're in this together. You know, it's us versus the big guys. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, man. There we that, go. That, that, How do you find that service. aces? Cause I'm trying to, I, I want to, cause as a family, we're, we're cutting out sugar um, as best we can. Obviously it's really hard to eliminate total, but the aces is there, is there a, a way to find all those uh, companies involved in it? Yeah. So we got a website just, just called sweetaces.org. Sweet aces, uh, like, like sweetasses.com. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet aces. Just sweet ass. <laughs> See, uh, there you go. Hey. I didn't even catch yeah. that. Hey, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Hey, Darren says it's hey, me all the time. Sorry, so it's man. always in the back of my Jimmy, head. Jimmy, we're sorry. Tyler, what you <laughs> sweet ass. They're just trying to save America and you're talking about asses over there. Sorry. Yeah. Sweet, <laughs> sweet aces.com. Continue. Yeah, don't type in sweet asses. <laughs> <laughs> At least not on a work computer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the Tyler's question, if we go to that website, what can we find there on that website? So it's the other brands that are involved. Uh, and the whole the whole point of Aces is to make healthy food accessible. So uh, it's, in, it's in a subtle way, right? Like if you, let's say there's somebody in your life who's unhealthy, overweight. It's tough to approach that person and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, like I think you should lose weight. And here's a, a way to a healthier lifestyle. At Aces, you could put in, that that person's information or your information if you want to and we send you a coupon booklet that ha that has access free access or discounted access to all mm. of our products so mm. it's like once you try this you're not going to want to eat that cinnamon toast crunch that you wanted or you're not going to mm. need that that 50 grams of sugar in your frappuccino or you're going to kick that soda habit so the whole idea is making it accessible and putting it in people's hands see i think it's super helpful because you see all this stuff come through like on instagram ads and stuff like that and you're like okay hey what products really can i trust that really yeah. truly are like good quality products that are you know like you said eliminating like real sugars because it's hard to trust sometimes because there's so much in your face, but this sounds like an awesome resource. And not only that, but you know, look, Jimmy, you guys are leading this coalition, man. You put this thing together and, and, and it's a movement, man. And that's what you're trying to create. You're trying to create a community of, of understanding of what's the better option. And I think that's, we look at our, our society today and I know Ben has been talking about this for a long time. You know, we we're what, what the most obese, nation in the in the world mm -hmm. and we have to figure out ways to solve the problem and you guys are solving that problem man so appreciate you what you're doing yeah thank you man no it's there's a lot of good people out there pursuing similar missions and again i think the key is making it accessible making it available you know we're in kroger we're in walmart we're in the places where america shops but also making it as flavorful as the favorite things right. that they're currently drinking. Because you, again, it's not our job to educate consumers on the benefits of a ketogenic diet or MCT oil or anything. It's like, Hey, this thing tastes like your Starbucks Frappuccino and there's zero sugar in it. You know, give All it a try. Right. Yeah. Simple as that. Oh, Simple I love that. it, man. Well, I, we opened it up. I was excited. I, I'm always intrigued to talk to the people that, that create the brands that we all love. Mm -hmm. and, and you guys are definitely doing that. Uh, you mentioned it a second ago, but where can people find Super Coffee? You said Kroger, you said Target. What about gas stations, you know, quick convenience stores, things like that? Where can people find you guys? Yeah, man, I, I appreciate the plug. We're uh, nationwide in Walmart and Target, 7-Eleven, um, CVS, you know, depending on, on where you live. We're in places like Circle K and Quick Trip as well. 
but we got we got a long way to go yet. Uh, products are, are are available on Amazon as well too. So right check on. us out, and uh, if you got any feedback, if you want to connect with me and my brothers, we're on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn. That's how uh, that's how Darren found us. That's, right. that's right. That's right. Good that's find, right. man. Yeah, Good no, find. Man, I'm great at this thing now. <laughs> what the hell I'm doing. Awesome, well, Jimmy, man. man. We appreciate you, man. Yes. Appreciate the time. Appreciate the insight. And then you know you've got fans over here. So mm-hmm. anyway, we can help support push anything out, man. We appreciate. We're 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 all in on Super Coffee. This is. This is honestly, for, for those of you, like, I just drank it while we're doing this interview. And literally, when you talk about, like, competing with Starbucks Frappuccino. Oh, yeah. Like, it doesn't, though. Like, it doesn't. Like, it's, it's, it's better. Own. Like, it's it doesn't own. have That's that right. burnt bean taste, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's legitimate. Yeah. And, it's, and it, is, it is great. And we're going to send you something when we get offline here. We're going to send you a new ad that you can push through. Because, go. uh, because yeah. we got it. We got it. <laughs> It's, it's all three of us shirtless, so hopefully yeah. sex sells. Darren talking about sweet asses or something like that. Appreciate your time so much, man. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you, guys. This was awesome. I'll, uh, I'll hit you up next time I'm in Dallas. We can smash a workout. Yes, yeah, sir. Good. Come on. Right.